Good morning. The reading of God's Word this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 8, page 894 in your Pew Bible, and 1151 in your Following Jesus Bible. I'll read from verses 21 to 25, 31 to 36, 48 to 51, and 57 to 59. That's John 8, 21 through 25 to begin. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, This is 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. If you have little ones first grade and under who'd like to go to children's worship, they can line up at the door. Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah will take them across the way to our children's worship hall where you can uh, pick them up here in a little bit. They might have more fun than us. Every human being is made up of two parts, the material and the immaterial, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. And last week, we considered the fate of every human being apart from Christ. When our body dies, if we do not know Jesus or trust Jesus, Though our body dies, our soul continues on in hell. And when Christ returns and every person is resurrected, some people's souls will be reunited for everlasting life, but those who are apart from Christ, their bodies will be raised from the dead and their souls will be reunited to their bodies prepared for everlasting punishment. That was last week. 
But as we've remembered at the end of the last two sermons, as we're journeying through John 8 and trying to digest this very thick chapter, while that is the fate of those who are without Christ, that need not be the end of your story. Jesus has told us time and time and time again through the Gospel of John that there is hope for us. That need not be our end. Look at verse 51 in chapter 8. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So though that is the fate of all humankind apart from Christ, If you keep his word, you'll never see death. He told us this in John chapter 3. He told Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. This theme goes throughout John's gospel, and the reason is it's the whole point of the gospel. In John chapter 20, John tells us his theme, his purpose for writing this biography of Jesus. And he said this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. I wrote this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. So John's whole reason for writing, Jesus' whole reason for coming to the earth, their reasons are the same. They know the fate of all humanity apart from Christ, and they want us to be saved from that punishment and from the power of our sins. They want people to have eternal life. Now, here is the surprising news that, again, we hear throughout John's gospel Those who trust Jesus receive eternal life now. Not when we die. We receive eternal life now. And this statement raises three questions I'm going to try to address. First, if that's the case, what does it mean to trust Jesus? How can I trust him so that I get that eternal life? That's first. What does it mean to trust Jesus? Second, what is this eternal life that we receive And third, what does it mean to have eternal life now? Because it's not usually how we think about it. So today and and next week, I'm going to attempt to answer those three questions, but I want to answer the final question first. How is it that we can have eternal life now? I mean, that's what Jesus says. If you keep my word, you'll never see death. We'll never die. We have eternal life now that never ends. How can that be? What does that mean? Well, The way that Jesus describes our current experience of eternal life fits the paradigm called inaugurated eschatology. What that means is it's something already true, but we have not yet experienced its fullness. And we won't experience its fullness until the end of all things. So the eternal life that we already have, we do not yet have in its fullness. And there are so many different aspects of our faith that fit into this already not yet sort of paradigm. Just think back to Abraham. Abraham was declared already righteous through faith, by grace through faith. But Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Jesus hadn't died or been raised from the dead, yet he was already declared righteous because of something that had not yet occurred. 
Today, we can rightly say that the kingdom of God is here on earth. But it's not yet here in its fullness. It's already here, but not yet completely. The war with sin and Satan has been over since the resurrection. It's already done. But we do not yet see its full consummation. The whole idea of faith and hope is bound up in this way of thinking. We look back on what God has already done in the work of Christ, and we look forward in hope to what has not yet come to be. Now, if you've hung out at FPC for long, this, uh, none of this surprises you. You've heard this before. So when we say that those who trust Jesus have eternal life now, we should be thinking in this category. It's already true, but we do not yet have it in its fullness. So we're not yet experiencing the fullness of eternal life, but we do have it. And so Jesus can say, we'll never experience death. But here's something to think about. Going back to two weeks ago, Jesus, who is still incarnate with a human soul, and a resurrected human body, Jesus is already experiencing eternal life in its fullness. Jesus' body came back from the dead. His human soul was reunited to his human body. So the eternal life that we do not yet have in its fullness, Jesus already has. This is why Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As Christ came back from the dead, so does those who trust Christ will come back from the dead. So what is eternal life in its fullness? When we have it completely, what does it look like? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about it in four different ways. The eternal life that we will inherit one day in the resurrection is a location, a state, a relationship, and a purpose. So Jesus now has returned to the place where his father lives, which is heaven. And he continues on in the eternal life that he has always shared with God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus lives on in the joy-filled intimacy of a perfect relationship with his Father. And now in heaven, Jesus, as he did before and during his earthly mission, Jesus continues to actively carry out his Father's will. So that's the eternal life that we will experience in its fullness one day. When we are resurrected, what Jesus is experiencing now, we will experience then. But the foretaste of eternal life that those who trust Jesus experience now will be experienced more fully in heaven when our bodies die. But the fullness of eternal life will not be experienced until the resurrection. So there's sort of this increasing experience of life, of grace upon grace upon grace. So let me break it down. This week, I feel like death has cast a pall over, uh, over us this week. Jessica lost her mom. Uh, then Harry Reeder passed in Birmingham on Thursday. Tim Keller died on Friday. I feel like I'm hearing about death all around us and, and close to us. So let me be clear. Those who trust Christ now experience eternal life now in part. And when they die, when their bodies die, they experience heaven, or they experience eternal life even more. Keller said it like three days ago. He said, when I die, I'm not losing anything. I'm actually gaining something. Because when a Christian dies, 
they go to heaven. And they are, their soul is with the Father and the Son. But even that pales in comparison to what will be experienced on the resurrection day. When Jesus comes back and our bodies are raised from the dead, on that day, we will experience everything that Jesus experiences now. This location, this state, this relationship and purpose. But how can Jesus say, this is one of the hard things about this text, how can Jesus say that we will never die? Our bodies do die. Remember what we said last week. We don't define life and death the way that the world defines life and death. Life does not mean continuing to exist while death is ceasing to exist. No, that's how the world defines life and death. What is life? Life is being with God. Life is being in relationship with God. Life is receiving our existence from him who is I am. He is the source of all existence. And it is living for his purposes and for his glory. Death is the opposite of that. Death is exclusion from God's grace. Death is resting under the punishment of death. Death is not ceasing to exist. Death is existing in vanity. Life, as we define it, as the scriptures define it, we see it in the garden. Man and woman living with God in relationship with God. All of these things that Jesus experiences now in his Father's presence. So, if a person trusts Christ, the death of their bodies is not true death. Instead, the death of the Christian body sets them free from their sinful flesh to experience eternal life more fully. So yes, for the unbelieving person, the death of the body is death because they are consigned to their fate of separation from God's grace. But for the believer, their soul lives on, truly lives on in the presence of God. And when we're resurrected one day, we're going to experience eternal life even more. It's grace upon grace upon grace. So let's consider our second question then. If those who trust Christ already have eternal life, if death is something we're never going to experience, what does it mean to have eternal life now? Eternal life in this life is a partial experience of what Jesus is already experiencing today. So let's rehearse again these ideas of location, state, relationship, and purpose that we've been dwelling on for two weeks. So what does eternal life look like now for us in terms of location? That those who trust Christ are not yet in the physical location of God the Father. Jesus is. We're not. Those who trust Jesus are the dwelling place of the triune God on earth through union with Christ and the indwelling spirit. Sorry my my points are so long this week. It's just one of those sermons. In John chapter 14, Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He says, I am the way and the truth truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I don't want to pretend like this is, these are easy ideas to understand, but Jesus makes statements like this over and over and over, especially in the Gospel of John. He says stuff like this, If you know me, you know my Father. If you keep my word, you'll love me, and the Spirit will be with you, and the Father who is in me and I and him, we will be in you. And the point of all of it is this. If you trust Jesus, you become like Jesus in his humanity. So we never become divine. We don't become God, anything like that. But we become a dwelling place of God. Jesus, what did he say about his body? He said, my body is the temple. It's the place where you can come to meet God. Paul calls us a temple too. So this is a part of the eternal life that we receive from God now. We don't go to be with God. No, God comes to be with us, right? The Holy Spirit indwells us, and the Spirit is united to the Father and the Son. So that means it's not entirely wrong to say that the triune God lives in you and with you. Because of that, we can say with confidence that the church, the people of God, we are the kingdom of God. In fact, you are like heaven on earth. People can interface with the God of the universe by coming to you because he dwells in you and his glory shines through you. This is a part of the eternal life we have now. Those who trust Jesus have eternal life now. We are the location in which God dwells on earth. But this eternal life is not only a location, it's also a state and a relationship, some of which we've already described a bit this morning. Our new state, the power of bodily death over us who trust Jesus is gone because we can never be separated from God and the life that is in him. We can't die by definition. Even bodily death is not death for us anymore. But then in terms of our relationship, because of Jesus' work of justification, those who trust Jesus are adopted into the family of God forever. So last week, I think I've got one more thing here. Do I? I'm lost. No, I'm not. Okay. So last week we talked about how apart from Christ, we are not in the family of God anymore. Jesus says in this chapter that our father is actually the devil, right? He's very uh, honest in this chapter. So we're not sons of God. We don't deserve to be sons of God. Who was the son of God, though? Jesus. Thank you, Margot. Kids can answer, too. It's fine. Anybody can answer. It's all right. We have not been faithful to God the Father. Who was faithful to God? That's right. Thank you very much. Jesus. And what did Jesus say to people who were not sons of God and who were not faithful to God in verses 34 through 36? Look again. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. Jesus says, you may not be a son of God. You're not a child of God. None of us are apart from Christ. And you have not lived as a son ought to live, but the son has the capacity to make you free, which means to bring you into the family. So how does Jesus do this? When a person trusts Jesus, what does he do? Well, first, when a person trusts Jesus, 
they are justified. And that consists of, of two things. Really, it consists of three things. I was reading the catechism this week. You could, you could tack one in here. So when a person trusts Jesus, they're justified. And I'm going to say that means three things. The first one that should have been on there is that our guilt is removed and credited to Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a second. But um, Adam's guilt for sin, our guilt for sin is removed from us and given to Jesus. But also, when we trust Jesus, Christ's faithful obedience to the Father is credited to people who were not faithful to God. His righteousness is given to them, and as a result, they become inheritors of what Christ deserved rather than what they deserve for sin. And then all those who are justified are immediately brought into the family of God. So apart from Christ, we're sinners. We're not God's children. We are unworthy of God's love, God's presence, God's attention. But if you trust Christ, an amazing exchange occurs. He takes the guilt and shame of your sin, but what does he give you? If you trust Christ, his righteousness, his faithfulness to the Father, his obedience is credited to you. So it's not just that your guilt is gone and you've got a a clean slate and you've got to make the best of it. No, his righteousness is given to you, and that means that in Christ, you don't deserve death and hell anymore. In Christ, you're not even a sinner anymore. In Christ, you are a child of God. You have received the righteousness of Christ. And now in Christ, you deserve what he deserved. That is the work of justification. And when you are justified by God's grace through faith, he immediately adopts you into his family. In Christ, you become a child of God forever. And that means if you're in the fam- if, if you're in Jesus, if you trust Jesus, you're in the family. You're righteous, approved, perfect, and complete in Christ. And that means there's nothing left for you to do. You're in. Nothing can make you less than or more than in your relationship with God. And it's not uncommon to hear Christians say, oh, my relationship with God just isn't very good right now. What that means usually is they're struggling with sin or they've, been, they've not been living in obedience Those are things to be concerned about. We still have our sinful flesh. We still have our sinful tendencies. Luther was right that we are simultaneously a sinner and a saint. But saying my relationship with God isn't very good right now, I think is incorrect. Your relationship with God the Father is always perfect because of the righteousness of Christ. He's the foundation on which we stand. And if we trust Christ, there's nothing you can do to change your relationship to God. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God in Christ. The relationship that we have with the Father has been perfectly restored by the work of Jesus. And what that means, Christian, God the Father feels toward you the same way he feels toward Jesus. His love for you is that great. And that necessarily leads to the final, that's all eternal life now. We're experiencing that now, what Jesus is experiencing in his relationship with the Father right now. We're experiencing it in part now, and at least the final aspect of eternal life now, which is our purpose. When a person trusts Jesus, he sets us free from the enslaving power of sin so that we are able today to live faithfully as Jesus did. We are not now able to live in obedience to the Father as Jesus did. So let's look again at verse 34. I know we just read it. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In evangelical talk, when we talk about Jesus setting us free, most of the time it seems like we're talking about guilt. He set me free from my guilt, the guilt of my sin, the shame of my sin, or we're talking about going to heaven. But that is a very limited way to think and talk about what Jesus offers here. So yes, it's true that Jesus forgives the guilt of Adam's sin and our own sin. Christ on the cross took our guilt and shame that we inherited from Adam and that we've replicated through our own sin. But sin does more than make us guilty. It also enslaves us. And Jesus came to set us free from that too. So when we trust Christ, Jesus heals our inward brokenness and bent towards sin that we received from Adam. We receive a new nature. And then Jesus empowers us through the Spirit to overcome the enslaving sins in which we ourselves have participated. This promise resonates through the whole Scriptures, not just John. In Ezekiel 36, we hear this promise from God. He said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. So when we believe in Jesus, we're justified. We're declared righteous in Christ. We're adopted into his family. We become inheritors of everything that Jesus deserved. But what then? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to live our lives differently. We're able to live like Jesus. We're able to love like Jesus. So the question I have for you Christians today, do you see that freeing work of Jesus in you? Because it's promised to those who trust in Christ. If you trust Christ, you're not doomed to live life as you always have. In fact, you're living eternal life now, so live it. But it doesn't always come so easily, no. So justification is the work of God alone in us. We contribute nothing to our justification. Christ contributed it all. However, our growth in obedience is a cooperative work of God and the regenerate person wherein we increasingly learn to rely on the power of God in us. And this is called sanctification. So your relationship with God is secure solely because of the work of God received through faith in Jesus. You can't do anything to make yourself righteous before God, to get yourself back in the family of God. That is solely the work of God's grace. But to live out your purpose in life, to live life in light of that, in obedience and faithfulness to God, if you want to love God, if you want to enjoy and experience the eternal life that you have now, living and loving like Jesus is something you're going to have to put your mind to. Sanctification is something worked out in relationship with God as we make war against our sinful flesh. I think Augustine was right. The believing person becomes like Adam again. If you are in Christ, you have freedom of will. You are now able to choose to do what is right or to do what is wrong. And if you do what is wrong, sin is like a spider's web. It's going to entangle you. Paul says you feed the flesh, it's going to make the flesh stronger. But there's something fundamentally different about a person who trusts Jesus. You know where we have a leg up on Adam? He had freedom of will, right? He could choose to do good or choose to do evil. 
You've got a leg up on him if you trust Jesus, though, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Jesus says you have the water of life springing up within you. The dwelling place of God is in us. So when we're tempted, what can we do? We can drink from the water that is the Holy Spirit. We can do what Adam should have done. We can flee to God and in him alone find the strength to overcome the tempter. This is the life of purpose that we were made for. This is eternal life, to rely on God, to follow God, to listen to God, to trust God, to live all of life in pursuit of God and in reliance upon him. And this is how we become more and more like Jesus. And so if you look at your life and you're like, I'm not seeing any growth. I I feel like I'm the same person I was before I professed faith in Jesus. The question I have for you is, are you aiming daily moment by moment, to rely on Christ and on the Holy Spirit? Are you turning to him day after day and saying, put to death the sins of my flesh and give me the life that you have promised. Help me to love the things that you love. Help me to find my greatest satisfaction in you. Help me to find my greatest joy in you. This is repentance, fleeing from our sin to him. Has that, is that a part of your life? Are you aiming to rely upon him alone? That's how we grow. Those who trust Jesus have eternal life now. And we experience it through relying on him. So, my last question, then we'll wrap up. If those who trust Jesus now have eternal life now, what does it mean to trust Jesus? Trusting Jesus means believing his words and trusting him with our future. Trusting Jesus has two aspects to it. First, we do have to believe what he said. And what did he say? Look at verses 24 and 25, and then we'll jump down to verse 58. Verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. And then verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So who did Jesus claim to be? What were the words that he taught? Well, Jesus claimed to be the son of God who came to rule and restore the sin-ruined world. So do you believe him? If you want to be saved from your sins, if you want to be saved not just from your guilt and shame, but if you want to be set free from the enslaving power of sin, you have to believe that Jesus is God and that he is the only solution for this world's broken state. Who is Jesus? He's the divine Messiah, the king to whom the whole world will one day bow. That's what Jesus claimed for himself. So do you believe him? If you do, that's good. But that's not all there is to saving faith. We must trust him with our future in this life and the next. Saving faith is is not just mental assent to some facts about Jesus. It's not simple agreement to a doctrinal statement. The question is, who do you trust Do you trust the one who died and came back from the dead to care for you? Do you entrust your life to his will, to his purposes, to following him as God and king? I mean, look at the language that Jesus uses in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So you must believe that Jesus is the son of God and the savior of the world. But you also have to entrust yourself to his care. Truly, you must cede lordship of your life to him who is the Lord of all lords. 
So how about you? These things were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So do you see this spring of eternal life welling up in you today? Have you not only agreed to a certain belief about Jesus, but have you given over control of your life to him? Do you trust him with your eternity? But more than that, do you trust him with today and tomorrow and this week and the year ahead and the years ahead of you? Do you trust him to provide for you and for your family and your loved ones and to care for all your needs? Do you believe that what Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection is enough to meet every need that you have? This is the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of trusting Jesus. Do you believe him and do you trust him? He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of John and uh, for the remarkable focus that your spirit gave him as he wrote. Every chapter of this book is just drilling into us this reality that there is no life apart from Christ. And so, Father, I want to pray first for those who are here this morning who do trust Jesus, but they don't have this sense that they're set free. They don't have this sense that they're experiencing eternal life now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will call them to yourself that they'll learn more and more what it means to rely upon you, to seek their satisfaction in you, and that you would grow them, that you would help them to become more like Christ. But Lord, I pray also for those who are here who don't believe in Jesus, who have not been saved from sin's guilt, shame, or power. And I pray that the offer of life now and forever would truly grip them, so that they would come fleeing from the gods of this world to the God of hope, to Jesus. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished in the work of Jesus, and we pray that we will go forth from here today living and loving like him, shining with his glory in the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.